This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. We've just had day four of the WTA finals. We've got Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. We've got Matt Roberts. Hello, Matt. Hello, David. Where have you been for the last two days? Not bunking off. I had I had well, I had prior arrangements that were booked more than two weeks in advance when we decided to right. go daily at the WTA finals. <laughs> we <laughs> we decided, yeah. Uh, anyway, we're in three separate places. No pub action for us today, very sadly. Um, no beer, just cups of tea. Uh, we've got Matt in his house. We've got Catherine, who's just come back from the gym. We've got me, who's sitting in what looks like the Ramada Inn out of the office. And, uh, and it's not very... Not very glamorous. Uh, but we've just been watching a whole morning of tennis with the WTA finals cracking on. There's been more drama, more excitement, more disappointment, more sadness, more brilliant tennis. I think that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it, Catherine? Great. More sadness. Everyone is looking forward to the next 28 minutes of podcast already. Well, there's good bits too. Let's start with the good bits. Alina <laughs> uh, Svitolina was superb once again. Uh, and she won through against Simona Halep in one of the more, I would think, one of the more intriguing rivalries. You, you, you summed it up, I thought, quite well, Matt, that it, on paper it shouldn't necessarily be that good a rivalry because they play so similarly. They even came out wearing exactly the same clothes today, which immediately got everybody's back up. Shouldn't be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed that. No, I, I agree with you. Um, uh, they should have, they should have a, like home and away colours shouldn't they? So that you've mm. got an option for a colour clash. Come on, Nike, sort yourselves out. Um, Matt, what makes their rivalry interesting? How did Svitolina win? I think part of the interest comes from the fact that they've had some quite important matches in the past. I mainly think back to that Roland Garros match where Svitolina led, was it a set and a double break, and Hallett managed to come back and win. And I just think ever ever since then... It's been kind of an important rivalry for both of them. Um, Matchup wise, 
Yeah, they do kind of clash, but it it works. I think they're both good to watch because they move so well, they cover the court so well, and that is kind of takes your breath away. Um, and I thought today was really interesting because Hallett, when she played Andreescu, was being outplayed by someone who had a very different style and was just better than her. And I almost felt like Hallett was able to accept that more than when she plays Svitolina because Svitolina has a very similar style. And it's almost like, well, Halep's like, how come my best tennis is not being able to beat Svitolina? That, that is almost more damaging mentally, I think, for Halep in, in this rivalry with Svitolina. And I think Svitolina is in her head a little bit. Um, and they were just having these amazing rallies covering the whole court. And Svitolina just seemed to be a little bit more on it, a little bit more dialed in. She's had probably more matches in the last in the last few months than Halep has. And I just think she's turned into a bit of a WTA finals expert. She's won eight matches in a row now in this competition and the conditions seem to just really suit her. Well, that's one thing, isn't it, for sure. The conditions, the slowness of the courts suit her down to the ground. But then on paper, they kind of should suit Halep as well, Catherine. And I mean... I always felt Svitolina was going to win from the start of the match. I don't, I don't know how you felt, the way it was progressing. Well, Halep, just going back to the court surface, Halep's had not quite uh, kind of a whinge on everyone's behalf, haven't, hasn't she? She's not sort of complaining about it in terms of it doesn't suit me. She's saying it's just not great generally for the for the tournament that our last event of the year when we're all on our last legs is being played on a... <laughs> on a surface that is draining everything that we've got and more from from our bodies. She just doesn't think that's fair almost or in the best interests of, of the tournament. So she's had a kind of, um, yeah, a, a, it's not quite a whinge. Is it? It's a but it but it makes a, a, a quite a strong and important point. Do you feel it's too slow? Because I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I could. I I want to see risk taking rewarded uh, a little bit more than it than it currently is. I I mean, we'll we'll come on to Pliskova um, and Andreescu in a minute. Just uh, I thought it was a really um, well on Svitolina. She's she's developing an aura at that event, isn't she? Suddenly she's she's really walking with a bit of a, a strut and, you know, this is, to quote Alex Verev, this is my friggin' house. <laughs> you know, I know it's a different house to the house she was in last year and it'll probably be a different house next year because they're building a whole new stadium. But there is, there's an aura uh, around Alina Svitolina at this event and I don't necessarily think of her as a an auraful player necessarily she doesn't you know she's not imposing is she? she's not physically imposing she's you know head down grind it out get down to business kind of player but yeah I'm so impressed with her Matt and she hadn't had a top five win all season and yet she's turned up at this event and now she's got two back to back something does happen to her at this event and it could it could it could be the surface, but I think it's more than that. I think I think she feels comfortable in in her surroundings at this event. Um, and going back to the surface, I think I don't actually mind slow courts, but I think the key is variety. And 
we've we've seen a trend where the courts are getting slower and slower, and I think that's a bad trend. You know, when you see someone like Kvitova kind of unable to pl- unable to hit winners indoors, it's really quite jarring. And I I do take mm. I do take Halep's point that if you're going to have a court at the end of the season when everyone's knackered and on their last legs, you'd think it would make a bit of sense to make it a bit faster, and that might bring out some better tennis. Not that the tennis has been bad, but I think it could have been better with a slightly faster court. I, she she did look a bit sulky today Halep it was a little bit Halep of old and I you know there's a lot of things that go into that you know the as as Matt detailed the the dynamics of that rivalry are really really interesting and I do think Svitolina's in her head a bit but just looking at the the final game Svitolina looked really nervous trying to serve it out she was 15 40 down and I thought game on here this is this is this is where Halep springs into life and she hit a couple of the most ridiculous just not on in a million years shot she hit a backhand down the line that barely made I don't I'm not sure it even made the tram lines it was just such a ludicrous shot her brain obviously just switched off completely and she kind of threw that game away and I thought ah that's that is not the Halep that triumphed mind over matter to beat Andreescu a couple of days ago. And she did that at the, in the final game of the first set as well. I think Anki Otavong mentioned it with, with you in commentary, David, that she just kind of bailed out a little bit at the last game of the first set, which, which really wasn't the Halep that we saw two days ago against Andreescu. She was absolutely fighting tooth and nail for everything, trying to get into that match. The on-court coaching visits in the first set from Andrew Bettles and Darren Cahill, I, I find them so interesting generally anyway. Uh, I felt really mixed feelings watching those particular visits because you, you'd got Switzerland racing into a three-love lead and then Halep getting back into it for 3-2. And then you suddenly got Andrew Bettles coming on and he's dealing with and Alina Svitolina, who's suddenly within the space of just two games, is doubting herself, or or there are recriminations about her own game. And we saw the same thing with with Halep as well when when Darren Cahill came on. And I, I sort of I'm I'm not sure whether that's just human nature that you do that. I, perhaps it is, but I kind of don't like to see it. I don't like to see the coach coming on and talking or, or and having to hear their complaints about themselves he, as much as i love to eavesdrop on the doubts and the the inner workings of the mind i th- i also think this doesn't sound great for the players or the or the sports in a way that they sound so fragile and yet they're not fragile. I mean, I think it's just a, it's just an internal monologue, isn't it? Really, of what's going on in the brain. And and yet, I don't. I, I feel so conflicted about it because on one level it's good to talk, and and that's good for mental health and for a good message in that regard. But then because it only happens on the women's tour, you've got this visual of two blokes coming out and sorting out two women uh, mentally and 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 hearing them out. And I, I just feel really. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. What do you think, Catherine? Well, we've talked about it before, haven't we? I don't feel comfortable with it, with it either. I'm, I'm broadly, very, very broadly, probably about fifty-five, forty-five in favour of on-court coaching, um, but I, I, I don't like 
the its application in the game at the moment. I don't like the visual that it creates. I don't like the lazy, sexist arguments and subconscious feelings that it facilitates because I think it does lead to lazy assumptions about the mental frailty of women and and just I mean even if you're not consciously thinking oh here comes a man to give a sulky negative mentally frail woman the the pep talk she needs to to pull herself together just just seeing that constantly the the reinforcement of that image it it goes in and it perpetuates stereotypes and subconscious biases that that are pre-existing um creates it in their own mind as well because you see Halep starting to look as though I, I need this and yet you're thinking well hold on you've won two grand slam titles without any intervention at all yeah absolutely it, i mean look there's there's a there's a lot of issues that go into it the fact that it's just in the women's game and not in the men's, the fact that it's at tour level and not at Grand Slam level, the fact that there are no female coaches or very, very few female coaches still, I'd say that's almost the most significant of all the factors. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an unideal situation at the moment. Largely, I'm a, I would say I, if I had to fall onto one side of the debate, I would fall onto the side that's against on-court coaching for all the reasons that you've just outlined. But actually this week I've found on-court coaching in its current guise to be a more interesting viewer experience than I've found it in a while. And I don't know whether that's just because Darren Cahill is back and the way he delivers his message and the advice that he has to give is so often so interesting. I'm not sure. I think it probably is largely down to that. Um, but I also thought it was quite interesting to see a coach like Andrew Bettles, a young coach, almost go up against Darren Cahill, this sort of experienced coach today out on court. And that was quite an interesting dynamic that played out. Um, also clever the way Andrew Bettles at the end when um, I think Svitolina just – she was on serve, wasn't she? She was a set and 4-3 up, I think. And then she he came on and he was really – quick and robust and straight to the point and he wasn't he, he just said look fire up now he knew that the this was the time to break and mm. she immediately broke and I'm, look I think that that was in her anyway um, but it was it was clever actually clever on court coaching I thought it, it's strange how Daniel Dobre has turned into this sort of inadvertent third wheel on this on the side he's kind of you know he's he's overseen Halep win Wimbledon and Darren Cahill's come back in the fold and now he just sits there in the stands um I kind of my inner softies feeling a bit sorry for him but <laughs> equally equally I'm very much wanting to see Darren Cahill <laughs> yeah so we're all conflicted we all want to see these amazing on-court coaching conversations so we can eavesdrop and yet we also think think that they are unideal um i liked the banana shot from svitolina oh. forehand slice out of nowhere she said she was asked about it afterwards because it was such a breathtaking and unorthodox and completely out of nowhere shot and she said she used to play a lot of that kind of tennis when she was a teenager and she had it coached out of her she didn't mention the coach um but she said i think she said she had one particular coach who hated it 
and mm. she hit shots like that. And so she's she's moved away from it. But she said she said he told me to hit proper shots. Yeah. Which that looked a pretty proper shot to me. Yeah. Certainly, it was a winner. Um, I don't know. Maybe but, it's the Gail Morfis influence. Maybe it's a little bit of Andreescu um, influencing the women's game, bringing things back into fashion, moonballing, sliced forehands. And, well, it'd be a terrible but, shame if it had been coached out of her, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. I think it was almost just completely subconscious from Svitolina today. She just sort of. It was almost quite kind of lazily played, and yet it was just absolute genius because it completely caught Halep off guard. But my favourite part of it... She'd had enough of that rally. Yeah. But, I mean, my favourite part was your commentary, David. You just burst out laughing. Like, I think all of us. It was just perfect. I didn't know what else to do. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't describe it. I couldn't, you know, it's it was abnormal to yeah. see it, but it was just... It was hilarious mm. uh, because, I mean, they'd had about... 20 stroke rally side to side with every conventional stroke in the book none of them had worked <laughs> so she chucked in that yeah. I mean you know I'd have probably gone for that about the third shot of the rally if she <laughs> hadn't been successful we'd be saying what a hideous ridiculous bailout shot that was wouldn't we <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah I mean obviously brain Remember cramp when, we'd have been crying yeah. brain cramp Monfils was hitting shots like that in that US Open semi-final against um, Djokovic that time. He wasn't, he... though, because it was hit with such power. Well, okay, all right, yeah. He was hitting like a junk version of that. In that... <laughs> God, that was a weird match. Anyway, it's not really <laughs> It was a weird match. Oh, uh, one qu- final point on the court. We haven't talked about the, the colour scheme of that court yet, and I know it's, it's irrelevant, right, but I love it. It's, it's definitely not irrelevant when you're watching on the telly. I don't think so at all. I think it consciously or subconsciously has actually quite a big impact on your viewing experience. I think mm. the the colours and the visuals of Labour Cup, Labour Cup are a really big part of what makes it so success, successful broadcast-wise. Um, and I'd, I wonder if they've drawn a bit of inspiration from that here because it's got the same sort of feel about it, that slightly electric um, look about it, the way it jumps out of the screen. Yeah, I think it's great. Really works. Yeah, it's 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 sort of a light purple jumping out of a grey surround, isn't it? Yeah, the only thing I'd say is that Nike, that pink Nike kit that Andreescu's wearing mm. and Kvitova's wearing um, looks like camouflage on that court. <laughs> that is unfortunate. One one or two people have said that on to us on Twitter that they think that it's not a good look for the WTA to have what they've described as a pink court. Oh. I don't think it's a pink court. Why? Agree, What's wrong with pink? That's just diminishing and devaluing things that are associated with being feminine. Okay. So pink's crap because it's considered a typically feminine colour. What? It looks great. Catherine has spoken, folks. Do, uh, uh, uh. It's not pink anyway. It's light purple, isn't it, Matt? It's light purple. Yep. I mean, purple, pink, I I think it's great. You can see the ball, it pops off the screen, and as Catherine said, it, it, I don't know, you just see so much blue in tennis. It's quite nice to be watching something and it's different, and yet you can still see the ball really easily. And uh, Paris Indoors has got green as a court, Mm. which is quite an interesting colour. And that that actually works, I think, too. I mean, I think that's a good visual, personally. Uh, Catherine, go on. I was just going to regale the listeners with a story of of our 
nerdy debate about when the colour of the Paris Masters court changed colour. Took place in the pub. Yeah, beer. Are, um, that is the vibeless conversation that that group of lads was trying to get away from. <laughs> I'm getting nerdy tennis debate FOMO. Well, it was po- it was between 2016 and 17, Matt. Okay. Matt, if you'd like to come over and watch um, so, Boston Legal box set, I'm about to <laughs> break a new one open. So. Anyway. Well, you're not uh, because that hotel room definitely doesn't have a DVD player in it, David, because it's 2019. (laughs) (laughs) But my computer does. Uh, Right. Bianca Andreescu lost. Uh, In fact, she had to retire after the first set completed against – who did she play today? She was up against Karolina Pliskova. And to love up, Andreescu playing absolutely beautifully, no sign of the back injury. And then she moved out to a right – stuttered to a stop and had clearly injured something in her left knee. She had it taped up, one of those absolutely enormous tape jobs that stops you basically being able to bend your leg. There is an issue there, isn't there? I mean, you might be able to physically move about, but she couldn't move about properly. It was, I mean, I feel very sorry for her. She was, she's clearly hurt herself and she's gone for an MRI now. We don't know whether she'll be able to play the final group match. Whatever happens, she can't get through to the semifinals now. Um, what did you, what did you make of the whole situation? Because she, she, she had an on-court coaching session in which she did virtually all of the talking with Sylvain Bruno and, had a couple of cracking lines in the way in in the direction of her opponent as to why she was carrying on. Matt, Matt, what was it she said? Well, yeah. So Bruno came on with with what a, what looked like reading material for Andreescu to, which is which is against the which, rules, isn't it? You're not yeah. allowed to bring. <laughs> he was he was forced to take it away with him afterwards. Yeah, he he was planning to leave it with Andreescu to sort of ponder over, but he had to he had to take it away. Um, and Andreescu said that she'd she'd hurt her knee stretching for a shot. Uh, she heard a crack rather worryingly. The trainer had confirmed that it was her meniscus, and she said pretty tearfully that I don't want to stop. Um, and Bruno said, I don't think you should push it. And then Andreescu repeated, I don't want to stop, and then gave this incredibly sort of what was at once both really incredible, sharp, tactical insight and also a little bit of shade towards Pliskova saying, well, if this was Halep, I would stop, but Pliskova misses. Almost as though I maybe don't even have to move to win this match. I just need to kind of work my way through it, get the ball in, and Pliskova might gift it to me, um, which which was an incredible comment to make. And as you pointed out, Catherine, it was just we were seeing... Andrescu, the vulnerable teenager, we were seeing the expert analyst and we were also seeing the competitive animal. And I must say that was the part that did slightly concern me because as much as her competitive drive is what makes her stand out, it's what separates her. I think it's been key in her sanction. She's not interested in making kind of baby steps. She's sort of impatient for success, isn't she? But playing on a meniscus injury... I think is a no-no, really. I, I just don't think it's particularly sensible long-term. And 
I don't know. Only she knows how bad it is. But how does she know in that moment? I just think it's not a risk worth taking. And I, I hope she doesn't come out on, when will it be, Friday and play. Because, I mean, she's out of this tournament now anyway. Uh, she'd be playing for points and money. I just hope she gives herself two months off now and rests and comes back in January. Because we've seen she doesn't need, she doesn't really need to play that matches to have good form she missed virtually all of the summer and came back and won Toronto I, I think she'll be fine if she can just get her body fit because I'm, in, I'm becoming increasingly concerned about how injury prone she is yeah I mean in Catherine's not a medical professional corner which is becoming a <laughs> increasingly regu- regular segment on the podcast catchy my my if if I were the trainer running on there, my my rule for my my rule of thumb for life would be: if you hear a crack yeah. anywhere at any time, pack it in. <laughs> if yes, yeah. the moment the word meniscus was used, I did think and crack. Yeah, I did think probably best not to carry on. Um, Caroline Pliskova said afterwards I don't know how bad it is I was just ready that she was going to call the physio because so far I think she's been calling physio in every match it was not really a surprise for me <laughs> I didn't know it was really that bad of course I feel sorry for her which again is is, is, is a little bit of um, what was it you called it Matt? Shade, shade and Urban yes. Dictionary tells me a shade very means gentle shade being thrown isn't there to say a rude comment towards another person with little or no one else catching the insult except who it was directed towards so she threw some shade to talk yeah. trash about a friend or acquaintance to publicly publicly denounce or disrespect I'm here yeah. for it yeah it's just that level below smack talk isn't it hmm Oh, well done. I haven't looked up Smack Talk. Um, <laughs> you carry on talking and I'll um, I'll get on to that. Uh, do you think, I mean, look, obviously the woman has hurt her knee and it's a big worry. Do you think she overdoes the, the trainer calling generally? I mean, today not being a, f- a fair example of that, but do you think, do you think, well, do you roll your eyes when, 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 uh, when certain players call trainers a lot? Some call, some call trainers more than others. Do you roll eyes at them and is she one of them? I don't personally, but I don't know whether I'm being rational about that because I think she's so great. Um, uh, no, I don't, I've, nev- I've never rolled my eyes at a Bianca Andreescu trainer call, but that doesn't mean that it's not valid to roll one's eyes if that is a reaction that people are having. Matt? If that's the worst thing about Bianca Andreescu, then that's fine, as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't really bother me. I can see why it might irritate her opponent, but in a way that's just another positive of her doing it because then it adds this kind of extra level of spice. Um, So, no, if, if she was using them really sort of tactically and because she wasn't injured, then that I'd have a bit more of a problem. But I honestly, I don't think that is the case. I do think she is injury prone and that's more my concern. Yeah, I mean, she missed three, four months in the middle of the season. She's, you know, and she's, she's 19, you know, why, why wouldn't you be as careful as you can possibly be? I mean, yeah. 
I haven't. Okay, you could say the that sort of minor cut she had on her leg a couple of days ago, but the umpire told her to yeah, call the trainer for that. that. So that's not. So I can't really think of a time when I've thought this is this is tactical here. There's there's mm. nothing going on with her physically. I, I yeah, I can't think of a time when I've when I've thought that. That doesn't mean that she's not slightly less reticent to call the trainer than than others would be with the same niggle or injury but you know it's i i I can see why it rankles but as a as a neutral viewer just wanting to watch great tennis it doesn't rankle me i can see why it rankles the opponent i mean Smack talk, smack talk (laughs) the art of telling another person (laughs) off belittling them while in the heat of competition more of that, please. I mean, which is kind of what Andrescu did about Pliskova today, just not to her face. Yes. She did very, it to Sylvain Bruno. And I wonder oh, if, if I were Pliskova, I'm sure she's heard about those comments. Um, I would use that as fuel. This is what people think about me, not just Andrescu, because I'm sure lots in the same, pretty much everyone would think that about her. I would think, Blumenek, I'm going to, Prove all these people wrong. They think I'm. They think I'm. They think I'm weak. Hmm. Very interesting. Right. Okay. So that's the WTA finals today. It means that we go into tomorrow with Ash Barty playing against Belinda Bencic. Bencic. Is that right? Yeah. No. No. Petra no. Kvitova. That's it. I'll get there in a minute. Um, so yeah. She, Catherine, don't look like that. That's correct. Yeah, first first day. Don't don't forget, Benchich won the first set, and it was Barty who came back to win in three. Um, that's what happened there. And so our scenarios here are complicated. Svitolina, Svitolina's already qualified. I can tell you that much. Um, she's won the group. So now it's Pliskova and Halep to play for the second semi-final spot on Friday. That's nice That'll and be, simple. Great. Yeah, that group yeah, nice is simple. simple. The other one isn't, because the other one, all four players can still qualify. Um, Barty wins the group with a win over Kvitova, and then there are all manner of other scenarios if the others win. I think the other the other most interesting one is Kiki Burton's. If she wins, she will advance as well. Um, and that's just we've just never had that before. We've never had an alternate winning through to the semi-finals before. Um, I looked that up at the WTA finals earlier today and it's definitely the case. So a very interesting uh, element to to look forward to. So uh, final group matches over the next couple of days. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, Roger Federer has today withdrawn from the ATP Cup which uh, he was due to play for Switzerland in January. There was not going to be a Stan Wawrinka involved because he's playing Doha. But Federer today has announced that for personal reasons, he's not going to play for sort of family reasons, um, that he, he just he was quite open in the way he said it, that he just feels that he needs a couple of extra weeks with the family in order to, to be ready and to also extend the longevity of his career. Um, off and the the quotes put out by Craig Tidy on behalf of the of of tennis australia obviously this is a huge deal to them hosting this event in in sydney and in in other cities like perth and brisbane i think are, are the other cities it's a huge blow to the atp cup and he he was very understanding in his quotes um saying obviously it's disappointing but you know He's been around for a heck of a long time. He's done so much for the sport, etc. And we obviously want him around for as long as possible. And and it's always going to be a, st- a strain on the family. And he's done incredibly well to manage that, etc., etc. So, I mean, we don't know what the family reasons are, if there's any more to them than him, him literally just wanting to spend some more time at home. Stu Fraser of the Times did put out a tweet listing all of the exhibitions that Roger Federer is signed up to play over the course of October, November, and then right at the end of December in China, and then another one in the first week of February. I mean, there are there are a lot of them. So um, you wonder whether one of those maybe has to go as well if, if, there's, a, if there's an issue at home. I mean, I hope there isn't. I hope there's nothing uh, beyond just wanting to spend time with the family. If, if he does just want to spend time with the family, then I suppose Tennis Australia might be watching quite closely to see whether he actually ends up playing all those exhibitions or not. Well, I think it's worth pointing out that Tennis Australia are Roger Federer's business partners in the Labour Cup, aren't they? So it is not surprising that they are not expressing any um, kind of displeasure um, at his decision. Um, Without knowing without knowing the reasons, it's difficult to criticise, but the bare facts are that the only team competition that Roger Federer will have played 
um, is the Labour Cup. He won't have played the Davis Cup and he won't have played the ATP Cup. And it's a shame. That's not the way. I, that's not the way I choose it to be. All other things being equal. Mm. I, I'm personally, ultimately, I tend to look at him and Serena Williams just slightly differently and Venus Williams in as much as they've been around for 20 years done so that they do so much for the game simply by playing it I kind of feel like I don't care what they do they can do whatever they like as far as I'm concerned generally um, as long as they keep playing for as long as they can because the more they play the better and and at any time they could turn around and say do you know what I've had enough of this now I don't want to play anymore and I think Everybody would sort of a be very sad, but b understanding because what else have they got to give? What else have they got to prove? What else could we possibly ask of them? Um, it's you know it's in an ideal world they would play for another fifty years and and be able to play everything, but you know they can't. So, any further thoughts, Matt? At all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult to say exactly without knowing the family reasons i if i reckon it's probably just because he does want to spend a bit more time and then you're therefore looking at his exhibition schedule particularly the one in china i think he's playing just after christmas which he wouldn't have had in his schedule last year when he did play hotman cup and that's actually an even earlier start than than the atp cup so it does it does suggest that his exhibition schedule is the reason for this and yeah he's he's entitled to play those exhibitions and and that's fine um i feel a bit sorry for henry laxonen the uh swiss player because now <laughs> not only is federer out switzerland are out like these the whole country's gone from the competition which i thought was quite extreme um <laughs> So yeah, and I've I've discovered this this extra layer of qualification that's in the ATP Cup, which I must say I didn't know existed. But yeah, this the second entry deadline, which has always been a thing, it hasn't just come in for this, but it's it has made me look at the rules a bit more closely of that competition, which I must say had slightly passed me by up until now. Of all the names that I expected to hear in this podcast, Henry Laxonen <laughs> is not one of them. But there we are. Okay, uh, and somebody else who has had a bit of a bad time today is Jack Sock, who lost his match. He was forced to withdraw, hurt his back in Charlottesville in the match that he was playing in a challenger there. And that loss means that he loses his ranking altogether, which is a really sobering thought, isn't it? I mean, I know he's he's had a bad time. I'm, I'm kind of working out, trying to work out where what's happened to his protected ranking i mean how come he hasn't had one of those but you know he's had a, a tough well, i don't yeah i don't think i mean he's not had a hip replacement has he no but i mean you know people have all sorts don't they if they declare themselves injured and and then but he's been playing yeah I, I th- I... he's got the same same ranking as us now yeah <laughs> yeah i was looking he's nine wins 22 losses in 2018 and zero wins, eight losses in 2019. Like, oh, it was it was difficult to get much worse than 2018, <laughs> and yet he's he's somehow managed it. I mean, he has had that thumb injury, didn't he, at the start of the year? But I don't think he was ever out for long enough to be able to kind of warrant a protected ranking. Um, Same number of wins as David Law. 
Correct. Matt, Matt's having a better year than Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Unquestionably. Uh, in fact, I think you might be ranked above him now. Um, anyway, poor old Jack. Um, hopefully he gets better soon. Um, I mean, he's, a, you know, see, it's one of those where you look at his social media activity and it's it's a bit of, I, don't, I can't say I particularly enjoy it. Um, and yet, he looks like a pretty – I feel a bit sorry for him in a way as well because I think he's he might be quite miserable um, in in parts of his life too. Um, you know, he's got no ranking. He's he's not playing any tennis. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's not having a very nice time of life. Um, but anyway, we don't know the facts. Um, and uh, maybe he's going to have a Dan Evans-type comeback who got back from what was it 900 in the world or something like that and he in fact he was unranked wasn't he after uh after his uh suspension so we'll wait and see anything else anything happened in paris today of note well i flicked it on and fanini's racket was in two pieces on the on the court right he had so split it. nothing nothing out of the ordinary so nothing new there but he, he's out of the race to london as is goffin beaten by dimitrov in weird head-to-head news mm. that extends Dimitrov's head-to-head over Goffin to 7-1. Yeah, something like that. Wow. Which is weird, 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 I wonder weird. how many 7-1s Grigor's got over the top 100. Yeah. Or 50, anyway. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 20 then. You <laughs> <laughs> said 100. Uh, <laughs> I just sort of came out. I don't know. I don't know. Um Denis Shapovalov plays against uh, Alexander Zverev tomorrow. Apparently, he's never beaten him. He's never won a set. So we'll Ooh. see if that happens. Uh, gets in. Dennis has got a new haircut. Um, he just every haircut he has seems to make him look younger. Um, <laughs> maybe I should try the same. But anyway, okay, folks. Um, I was trying to look younger when you're watching DVDs um, from the eighties. Not not going to happen. Pushing a rock uh, uphill, there, David. Okay, well, we'll be back tomorrow with another tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph, executive produced by TennisBalls.com with our mascot, Rio, with a Y. Tell all your friends about the tennis podcast, if you can. And uh, scroll down, sign up to our newsletter. Uh, scroll down on your phone on the show notes so you can, you can sign up to the newsletter. And we'll be back again tomorrow. See you then. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 